Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. They caught a shark, not the shark. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. We're tonight's entertainment. This is some serious gourmet. Showtime! I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I you. You gotta do something or just stand there and bleed. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Here's Johnny! Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Popcorn, guys. I'm your host, John. So far, we've discussed why I think film is so great. Now, let's journey into my absolute favorite flavor of cinema and see what we can find. Let's have some fun and talk horror. Good old horror. Scary movies those stories that keep you up at night. Whether it's a film about aliens, monsters, mass killers, the occult, exploitation, and even crime, these are the flicks that are the most memorable. I mean, yeah, as kids and adolescents, there were your Disney classics and the John Hughes Brad Pack to pass the time with. Though to be fair, there were some creepy moments in those early Disney films. I mean, Cruella DeVille wanted to kill a bunch of Dalmatian puppies. And have you seen The Lion King? That shit is dark. And yeah, going to detention on a Saturday with four strangers might seem horrific to some people. But not me. Those were all building blocks on my film journey. Once I discovered horror, it led me down a dark road towards self-discovery, growth, and appreciation for storytelling. So grab your popcorn, and let's talk horror. My love for horror has been in existence for as long as I can recall. My grandfather, for a short time, used to run and own a chain of video rental stores, enabling my film obsession and my horror exploration to flourish. In my more formative years, I would watch scary movies on cable TV, specifically TNT's Monster Vision, with host Joe Bob Briggs, a pretty entertaining setup where the commercial breaks were bookended with Briggs giving stats and cool trivia facts about the horror film that was on the docket that week. It was a bit of a competitor to TBS's Dinner and a Movie. Anybody remember that one? Anyway, Monster Vision led me to understand the film's background, the story behind it, and the themes the narrative presented. I can recall learning the filming restrictions for Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. You remember that old yarn? When Jason is in New York for 10 whole minutes after spending the first 70 minutes on a cruise ship? Or the history of the Twilight Zone movie, and the horrible production accident that killed some of its stars. And of course, you can forget the mind-warping writing approach to Wes Craven's New Nightmare that seventh glorious entry to the Freddy Krueger franchise. I mean, really, Inception has nothing on that movie when it comes to dreams. Horror can be challenging and stressful, frightening and disconcerting, yet cathartic. Scary stories are as old as storytelling itself. When our elders would tell stories around the campfire, 
It was meant to instill fear that was ultimately meant for safety and protection. As a species, aware of danger and death, we actively move ourselves away from harm. It's an evolutionary trait that we as humans confront, which we need to respect. Only once we acknowledge and respect our fear, then we can understand it and hopefully overcome it. Fear keeps us alive. Violence and death are naturally occurring. All of the horrible, despicable accounts of egregious human acts or behaviors have come before film was even an art form. The horror genre is our way of reflecting on them. Death itself is inevitable. Cautionary tales passed down from generation are wisdom, care, and love masked. Think about all the things your parents said when you were young to ensure you were safe. Don't talk to strangers. Don't go to the water. Don't walk home alone, etc., etc. That's all horror movies are. Safety nets as we navigate the real world. Survival is our instinct. Fear of the dark. What's under the bed? What's in the closet? What could be lurking in the shadows? That is how our brain is wired, telling us to be cautious. There have been tons and tons of research that dives into what attracts an audience to the horror genre. That research proved to have many of the same conclusions. Differences were still to be found. Stepping aside from the obvious scientific explanations and staying in the philosophical pocket, this genre has its core on the pulse of humanity. We don't know why death happens or what happens to us when it's our time to go. These fairy tales, cautionary tales, horror tales, in my mind, serve us the best as the bridge we can cross for understanding and acceptance. Bottom line up front, we like to be scared. We love it, actually. It is that catharsis I mentioned earlier, the adrenaline. Horror allows you to take that built-up aggression, fear, and tension and put it into the context of a story. This way we can approach it at a distance. We allow ourselves to study it, understand it, and observe our relation to it. Plus, there's that sense of unrealism. As I mentioned in my previous episode, sometimes we watch movies to escape. We know it's just a movie. It isn't real and that is understood about any genre. Really, aside from documentaries. However, I do realize that there are some serious maniacs out there. People can truly be dangerous to themselves and others. Crime in its many awful forms, animal attacks, and forces of nature are very real threats. So I won't be presumptuous and I will acknowledge that some audiences' fears stem from their own lives and experiences. Back to my main point though, even audiences of action movies and comedies suspend their disbelief for the sake of cinema. We know Jason Voorhees isn't going to burst through the wall wielding a machete at us. Or that Jaws, the giant white shark, isn't wading through the local swimming pool waiting to snack on your leg. Or that zombies aren't going to corner you in the back alley, tear away at your flesh, and host a picnic over your corpse. 
but rather these are manifestations of our fears, visualized on screen through this medium of film. Okay, I get it with some of you. John, dude, some of us don't like to be scared. I mean, that's fair. Turning on a comedy that has you in stitches or watching your favorite childhood movie that makes you grin from ear to ear might sound like a better time to you. And I get that. But every once in a while, we see a horror film while visiting a friend's house, or we watch a snippet of a piece of one in a movie trailer or on YouTube, or we catch a commercial on TV that makes us look up from our phones. And for a short moment, those who are highly empathetic have a small window to experience that release. I do have a gripe with those that dismiss horror so rapidly. With a bit of condescension, they ask how or why I would waste my time with this type of film. Quick to call it trash and uninspired drivel, well, they are certainly welcome to their opinion. Horror is one of the only genres that exclusively examines and explores the combination of death, violence, and detachment. I see the value in this so strongly. This merits attention and respect because we all feel fear. It is unavoidable. It isn't surprising that people who are highly sensitive to their own emotions have a difficult time with genres such as horror or even drama. It forces people to confront their struggles. Think of films like Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, The Passion of the Christ, and Joker as examples of this. Despite their high production value, strong writing, and superb acting, these films might not be the most rewatchable. That is due to their ability to make us uncomfortable, yet unable to stop discussing them. That is the power of great art. But there are some viewers that actively seek horror films for that exact reason. They are highly sensitive, and that excitement and nervousness brought on by the mutants stalking a stranded family in The Hills Have Eyes is attractive and exhilarating. Fear can be fun for them. They are able to live vicariously through the characters, extolling their own input if, if it was them in that situation. From a survival standpoint, it is truly paradoxical. A good litmus test, if you will, that separates the adrenaline junkies and those who do not care at all for a higher heart rate is a small scene from the voyeuristic and creepy 2008 film The Strangers, starring Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman. Also, quick spoiler warning for this flick. In this remarkably underrated home invasion movie, the couple is staying overnight at an isolated house where they end up being stalked, harassed, and killed by, wait for it, strangers. Anyway, early in the film, Speedman's character has taken the car and left the house for a short bit, leaving Tyler alone, forcing us, the viewers, to be alone with her. She hears noises, she hears loud bangs, she hears all this shit 
as she tries to take a bath, make some tea, try to settle in for the night. But these sounds build tension as we continue following her through her evening routine. Our nerves get another jolt when Tyler, in the foreground, begins walking towards the kitchen and in the background, just feet behind Tyler's character. A masked intruder appears from the hallway, watching and waiting. The intruder is never noticed in this scene by Tyler's character. Moments later, he is off screen and has disappeared. Tyler's character never sees the intruder in this sequence, but we do. It's fucking creepy. This dials in on our fear of being alone, being watched, and being incredibly vulnerable. Could someone be watching you the next time you're home alone, completely unbeknownst to you? I'm sure that'll give you something to think about the next time you try to go to bed. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be an asshole. I just couldn't help myself. Anyway, let's keep it moving. Now, being your own honest broker, if you wanted to stick around and see what comes next in that scene, you probably don't take much issue with watching horror movies. Of course, that was but one example out of a massive catalog of material. Although horror films do not always rely on rising tension in the same vein as The Strangers, it is not standard. Some movies, such as The Lost Boys and The Howling, are more in your face and direct with their scare tactics. A common image in horror is a closed door, with something lurking behind that symbolizes or embodies death, or the reality of a possible upcoming foreshadowing death. It's an image that resonates because it's the entering of another space and is often accompanied by a feeling of transgression, of going against the norm. We yell at the screen, don't open the door. Don't go down into the cellar. Don't go into the woods. But we need the characters to go there. We need to see what's in that other space. It's the not knowing that is the most terrifying. Some people hate this feeling, this dread, this anxiety, and they stand at the threshold of horror and turn away, leaving the fear in place. But for a horror audience, facing those fears, looking beyond, is a way of being clear-eyed about what might be on the other side, however horrific and disturbing, because to know is to attempt to comprehend. There are cultural ties that link horror to different groups, often based on class, gender, or generation. Horror comes in all flavors, holding different touch points that affect some and turn away others. Sometimes having a universal appeal like the movie Jaws, for example, combines a fear of death with a fear of water. The fear of death coupled with a fear of the water have become the one-two punch of what keeps Jaws as a classic horror staple. I cannot wait to discuss that film in another episode.
Some viewers, in the same lane as those riding the unrealism wagon, view horror with a concept of interest, wonder, and curiosity. It is the often ridiculous circumstances and premises of horror films that propagate the sewing circle discussion of the what-ifs and how-comes. Why do some of these crazy ideas come to fruition? And why do we part with our money to see them? It is with a bit of irony that my next topic is the common cultural byproduct of watching horror. Our reactions to horror might wax and wane depending on who we're watching the movie with. Of course, I'm talking about the date and its aftermath. If a date is going well, it's time to snuggle. I'm coming from a traditional perspective, so please bear with me. If you can imagine a typical date, the guy watches the movie with a steadfast resolve. He's calm and he's confident, holding his date in his arm. The girl, usually, looks at her date for comfort if she needs or wants an excuse to get close and intimate during the screening. Guys, just don't cut holes in the bottom of popcorn boxes. It's not cool and I don't think it ever was. But seriously, my point here is that universal instances, such as the date example, shows the social power of horror movies. The girl gripping the guy's bicep as she gets more scared. The guy needing to be cool and show how tough he is. I mean, it's practically a cliche. And it's imbued into our cultural construct. I mean, let's face it. Sometimes dating can be scarier than any movie. Let's go back to fear again. This genre walks a precarious tightrope with its audience. Because fear is the linchpin for the bridge between a scary movie and a room full of people watching and experiencing it. I talked earlier about some of the ways that we interpret and approach horror movies. But so what? What are we afraid of? What are we putting into the box that we allow the film to open up and display? What is the fear? Depending on what you feel and what you're looking for, a film may hold one, some, or none of the fears you harbor. I've made a short list of what I've picked up in my experience. For some of you casual and newer explorers of horror, I'm going to reference a lot of contemporary works, but rest assured, these fears have been explored for decades. Fear of death is a common and universal one. Michael Myers chasing us through the neighborhood on Halloween, or Cole seeing ghosts in the sixth sense. Fear of loss of control, the Exorcist, Seven, and Midsummer come to mind. Fear of isolation, while being a bit on the nose, rings true with The Thing and The Shining. Fear of others and the unknown with Alien, King Kong, and Get Out. Fear of change with The Babadook and Hereditary. Fear of growing up and facing adulthood 
and responsibility with Stephen King's It, It Follows, and The Witch, Fear of Disease with 28 Days Later and Cabin Fever, Fear of Anti-Semitism with An American Werewolf in London, Fear of Being Out of Place and Cast Aside. This is reflected deeply with Clarice's struggle as a rising FBI Academy student coping with the loss of her father in the silence of the lambs. This episode would drag for hours if I went deeper into the few films I just mentioned. To paraphrase one of my most admired filmmakers, Stephen Scheel, horror puts the scary parts of life up on the screen and invites us to try and make sense of them. This is why death is so relatable. Death is the one fear we all are likely to share because we will all have it knock on our door one day. Death is coming and while we all have a day, we just don't know the hour. This is explored vigorously in horror. It's actually quite brilliant. There is no blueprint. It shows no judgment or remorse. It just is. At the root of that is that we know we cannot predict or reason with death. We cannot control it. The current market of good horror content is hovering above a mess of cliches, tropes, and franchising. While this is my subjective take on the affairs at present, there is something to be said about audience expectations and how marketing can sometimes misfire. But why does this happen? Movies such as It Follows, The Babadook, and Midsummer are academically good films with powerful themes of family, friendship, and safety. They suffered a bit due to being zeroed in on a demographic that expects jump scares every six to seven minutes. The problem with this is that there is a bias going into these films. If you've seen the trailers, either they reveal too much or they are edited in a way to push a narrative that is disingenuous. And therefore, when the movie is viewed in its entirety, it is seen as a curveball and not as warmly received. The catalog of horror is mixed with great films and a heap of duds. What makes a dud? A few things when added to the mix can damage a film's potential. Despite my claims and connections to warning shots about real-life dangers that these films provide, I'm not interested in morality tale parallels for horror films as a means of championing or damning the films involved. I feel they are a crutch and a weak excuse to both praise and condemn the genre. These type of lessons, A, shouldn't be used or considered as a substitute for practical parenting mentoring and coaching in the real world and B anyone can find their own version of a morality tale in genres outside of horror what am I talking about you might be asking 
that old wives tale that if you have sex and you do drugs and you do all these things you die it's bullshit I don't agree with it put that somewhere else Anyway, moving on. Some other forgettable works suffer due to lousy production value, terrible acting, and an insultingly stupid premise instead of a solid plot. And my personal favorite gripe... The Jump Scare. Weaker horror films in the lesser but larger stock rely on cheap jump scares that are put in like patchwork to string the beats of the plot together they can take the audience out of the film if they are a bunch of red herrings, which most of them are. Don't get me wrong, I don't have a problem with jump scares if they are earned. Movies like Sinister and The Conjuring are superb examples of how to properly implement them. But many classics to include Bram Stoker's Dracula, Let the Right One In, Stakeland, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, Psycho, and of course, The Shining, have little to no jump scares. I think it stays a bit on the trend that started in the new millennium. Are jump scares a way to hold our diminishing attention spans? I'm not taking a poll, I'm, I'm not writing a paper, I'm just posing a hypothetical question. As an aside, if you are unsure or just curious if a movie has jump scares, Go check out wheresthejump.com. I'm not being sponsored by them, just want to give them a shout. This website has practically every jump scare time stamped, so you can be on guard if you are a more sheepish with your horror viewing. Cheap tricks can dilute the production of a horror film, and the overall quality goes down with it. And then that becomes the expectation. So what are we left with? A distorted and almost unwilling acceptance of great work in the genre. But that's all changing. I'm happy to report that there's been some new blood and we're getting newer and greater horror films each year. I'm grateful to directors such as Ari Aster, Mike Flanagan, and Robert Eggers for carrying the torch for newer and frankly amazing additions into the fold. Horror films are important to me, and I cherish them so much because I find it helps an introvert and anxious person like myself to better navigate life. I've been able to connect to the characters dealing with their insecurities, with their fears, and in turn improved myself through them. From the meek Chief Brody in Jaws, to Sean, the eponymous and reluctant hero from Sean of the Dead, to Tallahassee, the survival rule scriber and shotgun wielder from Zombieland. I relate with them all. Great stories from the classic Dracula to the Dracula-inspired Salem's Lot. Horror has nostalgic power, and yet still surprises me. Looking at you, Train to Busan. Seriously, great Korean zombie flick. Highly recommend that one.
But what about you? What do you like about horror? Or what do you not like about horror? Let me know. Follow me on social media. And give me your insight. Give me your input. I'd love to hear what you have to say. And I definitely want to hear your recommendations. I mentioned a few horror films this episode. I know, I know, I know there are so many left. So many out there. And uh, I'm going to talk about more in the future, so don't worry. But let me know. Let me know what horror movies are out there that I need to see. What ones I shall watch and discuss. And we'll go from there. You know, let me know what favorite scene of your favorite scary movie is. You know, I mentioned the one from The Strangers on this episode, but is it a scene from Jaws? Is it a scene from Tremors? Is it a scene from a deep cut that isn't so popular that the masses at large don't know about? You know, is it like a Netflix kind of movie? You know, what what are some of those iconic scenes that just grip you and make you feel the the creeps and, and get your blood boiling and your skin crawl? Where are they? Let me know. Where do you find your horror? And what does that horror mean to you? I can't wait to hear, guys. And that about does it for me this week, guys. I'm going to wrap it up here. Thanks for hanging out with me again. I have more of these audio essays planned, and after I get a few reviews under my belt, I'll have some more. So coming up, like I said, we're going to have some reviews. I got a few few good ones in the shoot, so I'm excited to get those out there for you guys. Um, which ones will they be? Will they be about horror? I don't know. Subscribe and follow to find out. Thanks again to all of my supporters and friends who helped make this whole thing possible. It's all about having fun, and so far I'm having a blast, and I can't thank you guys enough. So until next time, this is John. Take care, guys. <laughs>